saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified. But he said to them in his eye, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, that they had gone away alone. Then some bones from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread, that was the 5-2, after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So that's our passage, right? We're going through the uh, book of John, right? And we're studying and we're going right through it and, you know, pausing for appropriate times, whatever the Spirit may lead. But turn real quick, go back, go to the left, Mark chapter 6. Because it's the same event and his take on it is interesting and it's actually very similar to Matthew as well. So if you're paying attention, I already gave you a couple ideas about where this also is in the other Gospels. So Mark 6, verse 45. We'll just read it quick. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. So they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on masks wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. So I like Mark's account. It's a little more detailed, right? Get a little bit of a better idea. And then if you look at Matthew's account, it's even a little bit more interesting um, because there's one more dynamic, which isn't in Mark or John, and he goes by the name of Cephas, Peter. Right? And that's the one where Peter's like, you know, if it is you, Lord, just call me out there. And he's like, hey, come on. You know, and then he goes out and takes a couple of steps. And then he sees, like, what's going on around him. He's like, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. And then, you know, he starts to go down and he picks him up. He's like, why'd you doubt, man? Why so little faith? He's like, come on. Um, And so that's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. Um, So it was interesting as I was reading through this this week, um, I was like, you know, reading through it and studying it. And like, Lord, you know, what do you want to speak? What do you want to say? And what are you trying to pull up for us? Um, I, I, honestly, my initial response is I read it, and I was like, okay, Jesus walked on water. Just about everybody has heard that in some way, shape, or form, whether accurate or inaccurate. And honestly, my, like, initial response to God was, that's awesome. Jesus, good job. You walked on water. It's a good story. Like, there's got to be more there, though, Lord. Like, what 
is going on? Like, what's the deal? What's something that we can glean away from? What's something that you, Holy Spirit, want to speak to our hearts about that passage? Because there's definitely got to be more there than just him walking on the water. And the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, wants to, like, teach us something other than that. And, um, so, you know, so I'm thinking through it and going through it during the week and just figuring out what's going on. And um, I have this class uh, that I'm teaching um, where most of the seniors are gone. It's just about end of the year and graduation's coming up soon. And so it's pretty chaotic around the school and um, in this particular class. Like, if seniors had a particular GPA, particular grade average in each class, they could leave really and go intern somewhere. Um, if they did not, they have to stay behind and do the work until they can actually leave. Um, so these gifted students, um, or incredibly lazy students is really what they are, um, they're in the class with me. And actually, it's not so bad. I actually really like it a lot because there's only three of them in there and me. And so now it's like totally different than when we had a room full of 30. Like we can just talk about life and talk about stuff and, you know, they'll be doing math and homework and we're just talking about life as it's happening, you know, and like you could do that now. It's a small room. We can actually get to things that really matter. And so I was like, I just said, because uh, I was on the computer doing something while they're doing some work. They're like, what are you reading? I was like, listen, I got to ask you something. I said, we're going to be talking about this passage, you know, not this week because it was Mother's Day last week. I said, but the week after that, we'll be talking about this. I said, just give me, you know, real quick, you know, what comes to your mind, what you think, um, just quick opinions. So I read it to him, and um, one of the kids goes, he goes, Mr. Murphy goes, I don't know if he can believe, take the Bible literally like that. <laughs> said, uh, I said, fair enough. I, I mean, I've heard that one a gazillion times. Um, I said, I said, really, how come? And uh, he's like, well, you know, there's a lot of stories. He said, probably, you know, honestly, there's just a lot of metaphors in there to just help people understand truths better. And, you know, it's hard to say which ones are real and which ones are not. And it's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I said, if you, you know, someone decides to be selective about what to take literal and what not to take literal, it's like, what are you going to pick and choose? I, you know, what, how's that going to work out? Um, I said, if, if the Bible is true and all those stories actually did happen and God is real, like, one, if he really is God, he must be big enough to do that stuff. And the kid's like, yeah, you know, I guess. And, and then second, if that stuff, you know, did happen, um, it's going to require some faith. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's the problem, Mr. Murphy. Like, there doesn't seem to be enough reasons and enough proof. And, you know, he wanted to talk about, you know, the flood, and he wanted to talk about um, creation and all this stuff. And, and I just really just let him talk. It wasn't really time to debate every single point in detail and just get into, like, um, an ideological discussion. Sometimes there's a time for that. That wasn't the time or place. So let him uh, finish talking. I said, yeah. I said, I hear what you're saying. I, I hear where you're stuck. I said, you know, but listen... At the end of the day, bless you, at the end of the day, either this thing, this, our, this relationship with God is about faith, or it's not. Like, if God told us every single thing, and we were aware of every single detail, what faith is involved? We know just as much as he knows. We're on the same playing field, the same level. What really is there even a need for God really in that place? And he's like, I know, Mr. Murphy, but there's stuff in there that's really hard to believe. And so he's like, I won't say that I don't believe in God, but I'm not going to, there just seems to be too much evidence that there is a God. So he's like, 
I'm kind of, and the other kid's like, you're agnostic. And he's like, yeah, I guess I'm just a not agnostic. I'm not sure. Just trying to figure it out. I said, you know, I could definitely understand that. I said, man, but don't you ever stop trying to figure that one out. Because if the Bible is true and if it is real, you could be wasting a lot of time, man. And so, but that's an awesome math class. What was, this, what was the stuff we did that day? I don't even know what we did. I gave him some busy work, you know, of stuff to do, and that's just what we did. But it's a good discussion. And um, for those that read a story like this, and Jesus walking on water, and like, for some, the approach is, wow, awesome, Jesus is amazing, that's pretty cool. For some, it's just, ah, whatever, can't believe it, it's just a book that's been written a long time ago with a bunch of stuff. For others, it's like, wow, this is the God who I serve. This is the person of the Trinity I have a relationship with. And if he could do that, and if that lives inside of me, man, some amazing things are possible and could take place. It kind of creates a sense of excitement and what could be and where the capabilities are. Hopefully that's the case. If it's not the case, then it's not the case. Seek God with a whole heart and be like, Lord, I don't know about this. I don't know about you. Maybe you did that back then, but I don't know for now you know, how this is going to work out. Um, so I was just thinking about all this stuff this week, and um, really until later in the week, I got past, I feel like the Spirit just kind of broke through when we got past, hey, yay Jesus for walking on water. Um, there's some more stuff there. And so that's what we'll be talking about this morning, because I think there's a lot more wrapped up in there. Um, and so Water Walkers uh, is the title, because um, I believe that's what we're called to do. Man, My Lighthouse... I think that's like the perfect song, you know, for something like this, man, because Lighthouse is like, that was their point, to let people know where they're at and help guide them safely to a safe area and eliminate and make, make them aware of what dangers might be presented. And in many ways, that's like what our Father is. And that's what that song is about, my Lighthouse. I will follow you, right? Man, God, you're going to help guide me to what's safe. You're going to show me and reveal to me what's safe, where I can go, where I shouldn't go. What's wise and not so wise. And honestly, our lifestyles should really be summarized in walking on water. Now, I don't know if we can go walk in the Nautic River. Maybe there's a time and place for that. I don't know. Maybe God has that in line for somebody in here or somebody else in town that loves the Lord. I don't know. Tell you what, you do a Google, Google search of people walking on water, there's like a gazillion things that pop up. And uh, probably the most recent one was uh, Chris Angel, Mind Freak. You know, he did a walk on water thing. And uh, I forget where it was. I think it was in Las Vegas, um, you know, somewhere near there. And, uh, and then there was also, near that page, it explained, like, what he did. You know, because you watch the video, and it's like, you know, he's like walking, you know, on the water. Real dramatic, you know, and he's walking on the water, and people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and then there was this other clip where there was this guy, like, playing jokes on people in New York City. Uh, I think it was in New York. And he was on his cell phone, and he was just walking on his cell phone. He's like, I'm going to be on my cell phone. I'm just going to walk. 
right through the water and act like I'm so distracted, but I walked on water and it's going to blow people away. And so sure enough, that's what he did. He was on the phone and he was talking. He's like, yeah, da, 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 da. And he's walking. And he's always getting close to water and people are like, you know, on their bikes, pushing the strollers, you know, doing whatever they're doing their day. And they're like, watching this kid. You know, and then they stop. It's, like, it's so funny. And then he's like going out there. And then he stops on his cell phone in the water like, oh, oh. And then he's like yelling and talking to people. Can you help me? Can you help me? And people are all freaked out. And, it was pretty, and this one guy, Christian, not, I don't know, but he was, uh, he saw it, and he's like, <laughs> what? He's like, there's only one man that's ever done that, and that's Jesus. I, I don't know what's going on here. And so they had this really funny dialogue going, and it's pretty interesting. But, uh, you know, this walking on water thing is, is pretty interesting. And I think there's definitely a lot more than just Jesus walking on water. There's some other things we could pull away. So let's take a look. So in the Mark Gospel, verse 45. God, what do you want to say to our hearts this morning, right? That's the way we approach Sundays. That's the way we approach Bible studies. That's the way we'd approach a conference, right? We'd show up and say, Lord, what do you want to say to our hearts? I'm not just going there, God, because I just go there and it's part of my routine. It's, Lord, what do you want to say to my heart? I'm preparing my heart for what you want to speak to me. That's the way we're supposed to approach the Word, and being around Him. So God, we want to speak to our hearts. So it says, immediately, Jesus made His disciples... Actually, we'll, we'll, we'll back up a little bit. Uh, in... Sorry, I'm making you flip. John 6, but keep your finger in Mark 6. I'm sorry. Just in case people weren't here a couple of weeks ago. Okay, verse 22, and John chapter 6. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake... Oh, sorry, wrong one. Man, I'm messing up big time. All right. Here we go. Verse 14, chapter 6. It says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So he just did the five loaves and the two fish. So he fed, you know, conservatively 10,000 people or so with uh, some bait and, like, some saltines. Like, you know, some bread and some fish. Incredible. Just, um, and there was 12 basketfuls of leftovers. (laughs) So, understandably so, they're like, you know... This is the prophet. Verse 14. This is the Messiah who's to come into the world. The Jews have been believing this and been taught this their whole lives. Like, this has to be it. And they were right. Verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus knew that they would recognize it and they would be right. But, they were trying to make him king. So they're right. They're 50-50. They got it right. That is the prophet. That is the Messiah. But he's not called to be king in the way you want him to be king. So the thing that stuck out to me about that right there, because that's kind of what sets the scene here. That's why Jesus is getting away by himself. The thing that spoke to me on this one was GTS. GTS. God's time schedule. 
God's time schedule, God's timetable, GTT, whatever you want to call it. He knew that it just was not the time for that, nor the way. Here's the thing that spoke to me on that one, is that many times Christians, believers, maybe even yourself, will look for confirmation. They'll ask God, God, show me this is you. Show me something I should do. Let me know if this is like from you or not or if this is the real deal. Show me. Speak to me. And many times, what we will do is we will see what kind of response happens from what we're about to do and then kind of gauge if this is okay with God and if he's allowing it. So what we'll do is we'll take a response from a group of people or from a situation and it seems like it aligns with what we thought might happen, you know, we go with it. Which I think there is some value in that, but there has to be more wisdom in that. Because what it does is it puts the other person or their people or their situation, their response basically becomes now dictator of what we do next. That's a dangerous place to be. And probably we've all done there and dabbled in it and maybe even tried it out. Definitely. It's a dangerous place to be. There was a group of people, lots of people, who said, listen, you're the king, you're the Messiah, this is what you are supposed to be doing. You are the king, that's why you are here. You are the prophet, you are fulfilling the word in all prophecies. Well, uh, people, if they weren't so settled on knowing who God is and what his will is, be like, you know what? You're right. I am the prophet. I am the king. Maybe God wants to do it this way. It seems like everybody else is saying that I should go do this. It seems like they're welcoming. In fact, they're not even just willing. They're like forcefully putting me in a particular direction. Maybe this is God's will. Maybe we know something about that. People just not only being willing, but like, oh yeah, really wanting more. Does it necessarily mean that it's from God? Definitely not. How do you tell? By being with Him. That's the only way you tell. He knew in His heart of hearts, this is not the time, this is not the way. I know everybody around me is saying and encouraging me, to go forth on what they think is right, but I really know what's right. That's a thought process and a decision-making skill of a mature, solid Christian. It's where we're called to be. And if we're not there, then we're not there. We say, thank you, Lord, for making me aware of that, God. And I want to press on after that. I want to know what you're saying to my heart. That way, my obedience is not solely determined on other people's responses. Man, because if we get into a lifestyle like that, what are we going to start doing when we start getting fight back and difficult situation and negative response? Dare I say persecution? Because if we're not settled there, we're going to be scrambling. Does God really love me? Am I in his will? What's going on? I don't understand. What did I do to deserve this? Probably nothing. They're probably doing everything right. So he knew God's timetable. 
We're called to know the timetable, no matter what people are saying, what's going on. Does that also mean that every time a response comes and someone's like, yes, you should do this, or I think that's a good idea, or move forward with that, a response from someone never matters? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we're called to have the wisdom to discern what's really coming from the Lord and what's not. And there is no magic formula. Man, we could try to break it down into a formula, and many of us have. But when you're in the moment, and life is happening, and we need to know right then and there, we've got to make a decision and a choice, we need discernment. There is no formula in that moment. It's got to come as a product of a relationship of being with Him. GTS, God's time schedule. We got to be on it. It matters way too much. Because otherwise, we'd just be going up and down in the storm with the waves. Okay, now back to Mark. You guys with me? I think there's a lot of thinking going on. Okay, Mark 6. Now check this out. This is not in John's Gospel. And we'll settle really here. So it says, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So, that's not recorded in John's Gospel. Like, he made them get in the boat. He told them, hey, get in there. I have to go, and I got to be alone. But he made them get in there. Now, Do you think it's that much of a stretch to think that possibly Jesus knew what was going to happen if they got in that boat where they were going? He could have known, could not have known. It's probably not too much to think that he had a good idea of something happening. Maybe, maybe not. Now with that being said, let's say that he did know. That means Jesus positioned them and intentionally put them in a situation where there's going to be a storm. Do you think God would ever do that? Heck yes, he's going to do that. Quite often, more times than not. God will knowingly, right? We can't determine beyond a shadow of a doubt what Jesus knew at that exact time. I'm not going to venture and speculate. But we do know that God will definitely put us in places that are storms, challenges, difficulties, and he will do it intentionally. It's a coming. And for people here, yep, I'm in it. Tell me about it. I know. But the good and fair question to ask is why? Why would a loving God do that? How come? How does that show any of his merciful and gracious nature? Well, two things that I feel like God put on my heart that we talked about previously a few weeks ago. One thing, one reason why he puts us and intentionally brings a storm our way and our direction is to reveal, reveal where we are at. 
Because it's really easy to deceive ourselves into thinking we're at a particular place with a particular faith and nowhere near. It's really easy to think that. I mean, Jesus was pretty hard on the Pharisees and pretty harsh with them. But you got to figure, you know what, at the end of the day, they're also human beings, and guess what? We are very easily and very capable of going down the very same path of being super hypocritical and having lots of double standards. Real easy. Real easy. And creeps in on us and is always looking to come after us. That's like the best tool that the enemy has is deceit. To get us to think we're someone we're really not. Well, what's a good way to reveal where we're at? Well... Let me throw a little difficulty and allow the enemy, maybe, to have a little go at somebody and in their life and what's going on, and let's see how they respond. They respond in prayer and in faith and anchoring down in the Word. Well, I guess maybe they're at where they're at. But if as soon as it hits, ah! And it's kind of funny, but not so funny, because when we do it, it's not that funny. Because that's where we go. Ah, we lose it. And that's not intended to be used in a condemning way to make us feel bad. It's used in a gracious way for our Heavenly Father to say, this is why I'm doing this work in you, because this stuff has to be worked out. You're not quite where you got to be. Don't worry, son, daughter. I'm helping you get to where we got to go. That's why he's using it. That's called revealing and revelation. And we shouldn't be down and out and depressed and discouraged and in despair about that. It's like, Lord, thank you for a heavy dose of truth that I needed. These things need to get worked out of my life. And the way I'm responding... Man, I'm not even proud of, and honestly, I'm ashamed of. Thank you that you're going to do better, and you've already been working in me so I can do better, and I will be at a better place. And the enemy loves to come in there and be like, See, I told you. You're a big phony. You can never do anything right anyways. All you do is fail. You just screw things up over and over. And you were really trying this time. Right? And then we sit on that stuff and we listen to it and we entertain it and it starts taking root. And what happens is it becomes a stronghold. Not everybody walks around demon-possessed. It definitely happens. Many times people walk around with strongholds that are just locked in there where lies have taken root and now control the way we think and the way we act. And after, after a long time, we don't even realize. Don't even realize. So a storm is good. Help to reveal where we're at. Thank you, Lord, that you know where I'm at, but you help show me where I'm at, and thank you that you do it in a gentle and humble way that's filled with grace. That's a big deal. Because many times when we're right, and we're trying to prove and make a point that we want to make, I don't know how often we can use those words, gentle, humble, and with compassion. It's where we're called to be, though. It's where we're called to be. <clears throat> J- 
Julie blasted me with that this past week. And she was right. She was so right, I cried right on the spot. I, it, was, it was crazy. It was so truthful. I was going to cry about that. It was so truthful. I was like, oh, my God. I didn't even see it, didn't even notice it. And she just, with her little smile, you know, and I'm looking at her. And she's just boom. And I won't tell you what she said, but she was right on the money. And I was like, oh, man. It's right there. It's where it's at. And in that moment, right, what my flesh wants to do, what our flesh wants to do, fight back. Oh, no. You know, and then you build up a case within your head about how they don't have a right to be saying that. They can't even say that. I could give you a million reasons why you can't be saying And then you just, like, come up with all this stuff, and it's, it's go time. That's, like, so ridiculous and so stupid. And there's no life there. There is no life there. Being right for the sake of being right produces no life or no fruit. Just try it. Just be right a lot with, a lot with people. Just be right. Well, I'm right. Congratulations. You're not getting along with anybody. You're not helping anybody along. What good is that? We're called to like come alongside and have truth take root in love and be manifested through us. Well, they never change, and it's always the same thing, and I can't depend on... Okay. I'm not going to debate that. But then now, how can we become the gospel, become love, and help them to see it? Because if they saw who they really were, they would not want to be that way. Is that not the truth? If people could really see how they're really being, how they're really acting, they would not want to. And this is the way, like, we should, it should be much more common for us to hurt and just have our heart ache for people instead of because what they're doing to us. It's where we're called to be. It's how we're called to act. That's the gospel. Like, that's how it takes root and transforms lives. It's when we actually become the verses and become the love. And treat people in a whole new way. And yes, probably in a court of law, you could prove and make your point and be right. I'm just telling you, there's just no life there. There's just no life. So how does this stuff happen? How does this stuff happen? He positioned us for, for a storm that's going to reveal where we're at and who we are and the other our head in there is to refine us. It's going to reveal who we are and it's going to refine our faith, which the Bible says is worth more than gold. So what he's working on is our faith. So our faith matters. It's really important. In fact, it's so important because in the Bible that without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is big. Not wishful thinking, but faith. And there is a difference. If you're not sure on that one, say, Lord, I don't know what the difference is. Sounds the same to me. Teach me and show me. See what he speaks to your heart for a while. Then do a Google search after that. It's like we run to the computer and like to Google stuff for all the Bible and things that we want to know. Like, man, spend time with him first. Not saying there's not good stuff out there and we should utilize it. But let's do it in its place. 
So Jesus positioned them for a storm? Maybe, maybe not, but we know God definitely does it. He did it with Job and, man, just all kinds of people. To reveal and to refine. Now, here's the thing that's just so important. What was that, one verse? Here we go. So verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He left his boys. He left the crew and he got by himself. That is like the heart of the Christian faith and the Christian life. That's like the heart of it. Getting alone, being with God. And Jesus set the model, not just in one verse here, but in many verses throughout the Gospel and the New Testament. That is a lifestyle and a way that we function. And I'm going to say something really strong right now, and don't take it as condemnation, it's just truth. The worst excuse in the world for not being alone with Him is, you even know it, I don't have any time. The worst excuse. The worst. One, it shows that there's really no understanding of the gospel at all. And I'll show you why in a minute. But two, it's just not even true. It's just not true. We can make time. And it's completely worthwhile to make that time. I don't have time, you know, to be with the... Listen, man, we're all busy. We are all busy. And we know it. But we got to make the time. Man, and you will get creative. Easily working close to 100 hours a week. Easily. Do you see that on me? Am I like, uh, you know, just like dragging in here? Heck no, man. This is awesome. Like, I'm excited about this. Lives being changed and transformed. I think I just made it up. Oh, he's just naturally an excited person. No, not the case. The gospel makes me excited. Being with Jesus makes me excited. I got two little kiddos at home, a beautiful wife, a gazillion things to do. With a gazillion demands of getting pulled in every direction all the time. It is what it is. But, but, there's got to be a place with my father. Otherwise, that stuff is going to eat my lunch. It's going to eat my lunch, my breakfast, my, eat everything. And I'm just going to come crawling in here one day. Guys, I'm done. Heck no, I don't want to give that any opportunity. Hopefully you don't either. You're busy too. I'm not trying to compare who's busy. What's that going to do? Point being, we've got to make time with our father. Because here's what it does. If we don't make the, I don't have time. If we don't, we reduce the gospel down to a confession. That's what it becomes. It becomes, I prayed a prayer because I kind of believe in Jesus and I agree and I mentally assent to who he is. But it stops there. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that will save you eternally. But I'll tell you what, it robs you of any empowering life for the present. And guess what? Everybody's watching, and everybody knows. 
that's just foundational in Christian faith to just being with him. Completely foundational. And we don't have time. We just reduce it down to a confession. And then if it's just a confession, then when we go to church and we participate in like God and religious things and around other people and we're supposed to evangelize, then it's just reduced down to a belief system that I hope you believe in with me because it's the right way to believe, not because it's the life that I live. Horrible. No wonder why people don't want to engage with Christians and like talk with people. Make sure you think the way I think. We're supposed to become the gospel, have it manifested through our lives. If they choose to receive it, they choose to receive it. If they don't, then they don't. God does that work. I just have not seen a whole lot of fruit in like argumentative, fact-proving dialogue. Maybe some seeds get planted. I'm not saying like there's no place. But maybe, you know, for most of us in our lives and, and around our coworkers and where we're at, I mean, listen, we say we're Christians and we go to church and we go to Bible study and then, man, something hit, not hits in our life. And then we respond with the same level or similar level of despair and anxiety and overwhelmment. And we're like, well, they believe something different, but it doesn't seem to really impact a whole lot. And that's not to say people should never, ever, you know, feel condemned now and guilty for any time that you feel frustrated. Not saying that. I'm saying we're called to more. There's grace for more, and he will take us there for more. So if that's the way we do respond currently, is that of immediate frustration, we get overwhelmed, or we think, uh, you know, 10 steps down the line in the worst-case scenario all the time? Bring it to the Father. Lord, I don't want to think that way. You need to make me to think that way. I want to have faith and not try and control the moment and not worry. It's really hard to head that way if we're not even, I don't have time to hang out with you, but I, you know. Stuff doesn't work. It comes down to the relationship. So if it just reduces down to a confession, then it's a belief system, and then from there, what happens after the belief system thing happens, and let's say people still continue going to church and taking part, then what happens over a period of time, people start to think, well, wow, I go to church, I, I do Bible study stuff, I do this, I do that, I participate, but my life is like kind of depressing and I don't feel very empowered and this is the Christian life. And then they become disillusioned and discouraged and probably paralyzed for a while and then just kind of, what am I doing? What is this about? Man, the relationship is so fundamental and crucial to regularly be with and encounter our Father just being with him. And depending upon the stages of life, um, sometimes it'll be completely distraction-free. I mean, that's the goal. He left his guys to be distraction-free. And it says that in the fourth watch of the night he came out there, that's like 3 a.m. He was up there for a while. But sometimes it's distraction, sometimes it's distraction-free. But it's got to be just a consistent commitment. Will God still love us in the process? Like if we're not hanging out with him and not fellowship with him? Yeah, he still loves us. But man, it's going to be really hard to hear his voice and live a life that's empowered through his spirit. 
just not there for us. It's not there for us. So being alone, that just spoke volumes and speaks volumes. And that's what we're called to be. And I was just talking, you know, with someone this week and we were having a conversation and uh, it was just really discouraging because we were talking about stuff and it wasn't about anybody here, but, uh, you know, it was just about people at different places and like, yeah, I don't have time to read and I don't read and I don't, you know, no, 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 no. Like, what the heck? You know, and like, it wasn't sort of a recent thing. This was like a kind of a normal thing. But they still go to where they go to worship and do their things, and it's like, man, you know, God still loves them unbelievably. We're going to see them around the communion table in heaven, but it's like, man, they're just missing out on life right now. And it's such a confused message to those around us. Such a confusing message. So I hope that you hear my heart and that it's not like, oh, man, I hope you hear my heart where it's not a bash fest of like, spend time with God, and if you don't, like, bad things are going to happen. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying our Father has created us. He's made us. He wants to be with us. In Him is found life and truth and freedom. And man, please do everything you can to get in that place. Because we just scratched the surface on a Sunday morning. That's all we're doing here is scratching the surface. So I don't know. Well, the rest is in the bulletin. That's all I got for now. And it's already been a while. But I think those are the truths that just needed to come out. Where is feeding many people found in the Old Testament? Well, that's part of your homework, so I can't give you that one. One truth we need to take away and apply to our lives from 5-2. Five loaves and two fish, in case people weren't there. Offer the little that we have in faith so that we can experience just some of what God can do. Offer the little that we have in faith so that we can experience just some of what God can do. That's five loaves and two fish. Man, just bring it. It's like we talk about Mother's Day. Just bring it. Right? That's what the widow did. Hopefully you went back to, maybe hopefully this week you read the rest of Second Kings uh, chapter 4. And so uh, what happened in the other scene as well there is awesome. Is this story found in the other Gospels? If so, where? It is, right? And we just said a couple of them. Where else in the Bible does it say Jesus isolated himself to, to pray? That's another piece of homework. Where's the best place to be in the storm? It's right next to Jesus. That's the best place to be in the storm. That's right. They got him in the boat and with them. Because the truth be told, when challenges and difficulties and situations are presenting themselves, very few times, at least in the Bible, very few times, they see just get rid of it and just calm the storm and then it's done. More times than not, he comes alongside with people and his presence is there with them. That's what he does. And we're able to see where real peace And real strength is found with him. And that's where real transformation is found, is with him. Because hopefully we're saying during that time, God, fix this, get rid of this, da-da-da-da. Yeah, we know we want that to happen. But he's allowing it to happen. 
So, Lord, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to show to my heart? What are you trying to, like, cut away that's not healthy, that shouldn't be there? These are the prayers that we should be praying when we're going through challenging situations and circumstances. Then we'll position ourselves for whatever he wants to do after that. God, what do you want to work out in me? What are you trying to cut out in me? You are the potter. I am the clay. There's stuff that shouldn't be there. You're cutting it out. Just do it, Lord. I pray that my heart is in agreement with what you're doing so I'm not fighting you the whole time. Amen on that? Amen on that. So get Jesus in your boat. Requires some work. But it's totally worth it. And then you're never going to want him out of the boat. And he doesn't want to leave. Let's do one last song. We got Be Thou My Vision. We'll do that and then we'll just close in prayers. Does that sound good? Okay. So Josh, you got that one back there, right?